0: Welcome to Celebrity Book Club. This is a podcast that recaps and celebrates the memoirs of badass female celebrities who have been torn down by tabloids, dissected by social media, and faced heartaches and triumphs, and come out of it all even stronger. I'm your host, Chelsea DeVantes. I am a writer, comedian, and filmmaker. And this week, we are book clubbing T-Boz's memoir, published in 2017, titled A Sick Life, TLC and Me, Stories from On and Off the Stage. It is a memoir about battling disease for whole life, the impact TLC had, and a surprising character emerges in the book, which is Donald Trump and his hotels. That was TLC's hit song, Unpretty. Of course, they have so many other hits like No Scrubs or Waterfalls, but I chose Unpretty because it came from a poem that T Boz, by the way, her real name is Tion Watkins, but she goes by T-Boz in the group. She's T Boz in my heart. She wrote a poem when she was in the hospital when she watched an episode of Ricky Lake, and where Ricky Lake was speaking to all these women who were survivors, and she was so moved that she wrote the song Unpretty. And I, I never knew it came from Ricky Lake, so I thought that was super interesting. And we are going to dive into it
1: all with my fabulous guest, Blair Saki. Hi, Blair. Hi. Oh, my God, Chelsea. I, you know I'm so thrilled to be here because I've been a fan since the first recap. You've been I there from like, the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I was always, like, DMing you when I saw the, um, the Instagram recaps, and I just got in, like— I was right on board. I was like, this is incredible. Um, Well, you were, when I booked this podcast, which is crazy, I probably
0: sent you the email a year ago to be on. (laughs) That's how long a book podcast takes. But you were one of the first people because, yeah, you were in the DMs. We were talking about all the books. I was like, Blair has to be on. Also, Blair, I normally copy-paste people's bio from the internet um, Mm -hmm. and read it. And my life is such a mess right now that I forgot to do that. So wait, let me see if I can do it in my head. Like, Blair Saki is a hilarious, (laughs) incredible stand-up comedian. You've seen her on Comedy Central, and she runs like hit shows in LA that are probably now coming back, now that pandemic is over. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, what did I miss? What, What did I miss in your bio?
1: oh um I mean that's good enough there's lots you know there's lots of things but that's no, give okay us that's hits. Good. <laughs> give
0: it, get in there I want I want
1: everyone to know the hits give me the bio um MTV you've seen her on E! you've seen yes. her on Fuse you've seen her on Netflix you've seen her on Quibi you know, the- Oh, my God, you hit all of them, and then... <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, that's literally everything you can watch on your phone. Blair has been on it, plus the real TV network. Okay, that's so cool. You're so cool. Um, so, <laughs> I-, I have to, like, give a-, a disclaimer to this episode, which is that i I am in the middle of packing all my stuff to go to New York on Friday to shoot the show, and I'm a wreck. I am a wreck. I was finishing this book at five in the morning. <laughs> and, um, and so I just need everyone to know that so that like, if 30 minutes in, you just, I'm just start singing or something like I'm, I'm on one. That's where I'm at. Where are you at emotionally?
1: I am going to, um, you know, pick up whatever laps there is that you have. I'm going to be your utility. Wow. I, um, yeah. This is a, we're into, into sports in now. I'm you. into this. <laughs> uh, wow T- wow TLC I feel was this. my first concert so I was like so excited no way yeah TLC I
0: I was thinking they have one of the biggest musical impacts in my childhood and I was trying to figure out why because their albums came out when I was living in Utah I think and that is an indicator of how powerful they are. I was, and I was living in the Mormon capital of the world <laughs> at the time. So, like, the fact that, like, TLC made it to one of the, like, widest, most religious regions in our country, and, like— and you're not, like, allowed to swear as Mormons, and, like, we were bopping to this. Um, okay, so it was your first concert. Is that why, when I sent out the list, you picked this book?
1: Definitely, and also, like, I was just— I loved TLC so much. And also— I mean, I guess I was pretty young when it all happened, even though I hilariously, like, remember singing um, the lyrics to, like, Red Light Special in, like, fourth fucking grade. (laughs) Yes. Um, But also, like, I had no idea about a lot of that stuff that went on, I guess because I was so young. Same. Like, I remember
0: the headlines or maybe even like the reverberation of like what was in the zeitgeist somehow making it to me. Like, of course, we remember like Lisa burning the dude's house down. But there were a lot of details that I was shocked by.
1: Yeah, I forgot about that. And I was like, that is it, it made me laugh, honestly, because like. These girls, whenever there was an issue, they just went and took care of it in like the hardest way possible. <laughs> it was so, <laughs> I loved it so much.
0: And I have to say, um, so I wrote on a TV show that just came out. It's called Girls 5 Eva. It's about women in a girl group in the 90s. And also I had separately written my own movie about girl groups in the 90s a long time ago. So I had researched this a lot. And there's so many girl groups who were getting fucked over in the 90s and and now and in the 2000s. Obviously, being young women in this business, they were getting fucked over in so many ways. But TLC was one of the only groups to say, oh, you're taking all our money? Well, we're going to knock on the door and hold everyone hostage and be like, fucking pay us. (laughs) And I was like, that is so cool. It is so cool to to see them stand up for themselves in a business where that was never expected that a woman could even do that. It was such a great response. I
1: was stunned by that. She, they were like, yeah, we went into Arista Records with a, like, a group with bats and tore yeah. all the... I was like... It sounds made up. It's like yeah. the most oh, unbelievable
0: yeah. thing you've ever heard. And they were like, because you need to pay us. Which is like, yeah, you do need to pay them. And then they they took TLC plaques off the record company's wall. They're ripping off their own plaques. And then they went and handed them out and like threw them out the car window for free. And she's like, that's why you can find a bunch of, of, of TLC plaques like on eBay now. Because we just like handed them out to whoever after we raided their... Uh, offices to get paid. Okay, wait, Blair, I forgot. I introduce all my guests with the story of how we first met. Do you remember how we first met? Because I remember did, it, if you don't.
1: Know. Oh, did we? You, did you do my show, is that how we met? Yes, and
0: here's what I wanna say. I So I would gotten a callback to, to something that I had no business getting a callback to, and I was like, I need to get this set up. Like, I need to get my set up. And my manager very kindly somehow got out to you and was like, will you have her up? And I just want to say that, one, Blair said yes on a day of notice. Put me on her lineup, which is like, that's a big swing for someone you don't know. And you were so kind to me. And I don't know if you feel this way, but, like, I was not used to someone in the stand-up world being nice to me. Uh, Like, it's always such, like, a tough you know, unless, like, unless you're already friends. But I wasn't used to, like, someone new yeah. being like, hi, how are you? Please come to our show. We're happy you're here. I was like, I'm sorry, what?
1: Oh, that's so yes. nice. You know, like, I try to ride for my girls, especially if there's, you know, like, it's gonna—you're up for something. You want to help. Yeah, but not everyone does want to help, Blair. So I just <laughs> want to, like, call you out. Like, that was very cool. And then we
0: stayed friends since and then obviously, you know, discussed books at length. Okay. Um, okay, so I want to read— Page five at the beginning of her book. My life story is very much linked to sickle cell disease, an incurable blood disorder. The disease, sometimes known as SCD, is hereditary, passed from parents to children in their genes. If a child is born with sickle cell, it means that they've inherited two abnormal hemoglobin genes, one from each parent. It's not something you can catch or develop in life, it's something with you from the moment you come into existence. Sickle cell disease changes the, the shape of your red blood cells. And instead of being round, uh, okay, so now it goes into a larger medical description that maybe you don't need a sickle cell. But basically, your blood cells can't get what need, where they need to go. So some people have a stroke or organ failure or sometimes die. And when she was diagnosed, the doctors told her she wouldn't live past 30. And, and she does, obviously. But her life is marked by this disease and is like constantly in pain, and it sounds like debilitating pain, and it would come up at, at random times, and that's why her book is called A Sick Life, because she said it's like, it's like a sick life, like it's great, amazing, rich pop star, and a sick life, because she spent so much of her life in hospitals. Did you know about her having sickle cell disease?
1: No, I didn't. And if I did, I I forgot. And also, I was, you know, I've heard of sickle cell, but I was really unfamiliar with what it actually meant and does to your body, like the symptoms. And I just think it's so crazy thinking of being like a global superstar and like what that meant on her body and how she just was like, no, I'm doing it anyways. And how often she was literally like, in the hospital between these, like, arena shows.
0: Yeah, and you do come away thinking, like, this is the strongest woman in the world, both physically and emotionally, when you're reading. I mean, and she's and she's kicking people's ass when they don't pay her with a disease that could cripple her if she gets stressed.
1: Yeah, if she gets or stressed, cold. The
0: disease can flare up, or cold, or changes time zones, yeah. and
1: yet she still is like, get the bat, <laughs> we're going to go get paid. She was is this- such a bad bitch. I mean, I counted the fighting stories in the book because, I mean, that one with her, I don't know if you're going to get to it, the— the Oh, yeah. I, oh, I yeah. oh just, we're getting there. I just couldn't Put believe a,
0: it. It was— yo yeah, we're getting to actually both two incredible fight scenes. Well, the and Sickle Cell, and she said it in the book that you've heard of it or you think you've heard of it, but not a lot of people actually know what it is. And then it was also really heartbreaking reading about how— how doctors treated her, how hospitals treated her, how people didn't know what it was. And she doesn't say this in the book, but it's definitely because it's a disease that primarily affects African-Americans. And so our white medicine system, white medicine system, our but, but truly our medical system, which has been run by like white doctors for, for since the beginning of time, they just like didn't study it and just didn't know what it was. And I think whenever whenever I say that, people are like, wait, but, like, all diseases are studied. But have you ever thought of, like, Viagra? Like, Viagra affects men, often old white men, and it definitely affects the men who are doctors who have led our medical studies. And that shit is studied. There's commercials making you think he's hot and sexy and <laughs> takes Viagra. Your insurance covers it. Like, that's what they do for diseases they care about. And with, like, you know, birth control and sickle cell disease, they— Sometimes they just don't even study things. Oh,
1: it's unbelievable, and it's also a pattern that I've noticed in so many of these memoirs of just doctors, doctors, especially in the medical community, and also like the powers that be, like um, the all the managers and all these people, just straight up telling all these women, like, no, you know what you're saying and what you think isn't isn't right. You know, I know yeah. best.
0: Yeah. Yes, you're wrong and stupid. I know best. Yeah. I do love in her book though, where she's clearly like some doctors don't know things. And you just <laughs> yeah. need to know that. <laughs> and you're like, that's right, because we're trained to be like doctors know everything. But like at the end of the day, like a doctor can be like that dumb idiot that like you fucked yeah. once who, <laughs> who was like, wanna watch me play video games, and you were like, no, thank you. And then later he's like, guess what? I'm a doctor. And you're like, you yeah. <laughs>
1: I feel like she also makes a point to say it about 10 different times in the book. 10 different times. Doctors don't, I don't think doctors all the time, I go off my intuition. Many doctors don't know what they're talking about. Many doctors don't know what they're talking about. She says it over and over. It's tough too, because it's like, you know, and obviously
0: many doctors do. And if I was sick, I would go to a doctor and literally hand my life to them and be like, whatever you think. But but yeah, yeah, she's clearly been through so much. And then we get to the psychic moment very early in the book, which I love. Um, She has this thing in the book called MTB, which is meant to be. And she's like, it's either meant to be or it's not. Do you believe in MTB?
1: Uh, I totally do. And like, her psychic abilities, by the way, are—I yes. don't think I've ever heard of anyone being more psychic. Like the, her, preman- oh.
0: <laughs> then you haven't read enough of these celeb memoirs, Blair. Because a lot of them are like, and then <laughs> I mean,
1: then I predict. I I know I know what you mean, but like, and that's true. Like a lot of them are like, I always knew, you know. But but like, hers are just the most specific. Things. You're right. You're right. Well, she yes, no, you're right. So she later.
0: Is in the car traveling somewhere. And she says, we have to drive back and switch cars. We're going to get in a car wreck. And her driver turns around, drives her 30 minutes back. She gets in her Hummer. So tight. She's like, great. <laughs> those are the Ta- times. <laughs> those are the times. Doesn't get in a car crash, but later finds out the moment she was switching cars was when Lisa Left Lopez was getting into the car wreck that took her life. And she was like, the premonition wasn't for me. It was for Lisa. Yeah. So, yes. She, yeah. But, and she also says, like, she knew she was going to be in TLC. She knew she'd be famous.
1: The reoccurring dream. She said she had it as, as a child. Yeah. She had a reoccurring dream where she would see herself on stage, not her face, but she would see her body in front of thousands of people performing. And
0: she said she was in baggy clothes. Yes. She was like, I would dream as a child that I was going to wear baggy clothes on stage. You were like, whoa. She dreamt of the 90s fashion.
1: Also, the tornado. She goes, she oh. said, <laughs> she knew a tornado was coming. Wait a minute. I have to go, we're going to skip
0: because I'm going to go read the tornado. Uh, I, we have to read the tornado passage. It was crazy. Oh, 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 I didn't mark it down. Okay, so she is in a relationship with Dalvin, For context, Dalvin is the member from Jodeci, super famous. They were on tour together, and they had a long relationship. Um, And then later in the book, she says she comes out of the movie theater, and she looks up, and she goes, them's tornado clouds. (laughs) Like, that's not what she says. But she looks up at the sky and is like, tornadoes are coming. And goes home, gets in her basement. A tornado comes, takes the roof off of her house, like, destroys her neighborhood, but, like, her house is somewhat intact. She survives the tornado solo— comes up, looks around, calls Dalvin, and is like, it's over. A tornado almost killed me. I don't want to be with you. Like, we're done. And that's how she breaks up with him, which I was like, what a sign to break up with your boyfriend. I loved it.
1: I was like, MTV, bitch. Hell yeah. MTV. Cut his ass off in your basement. (laughs) But
0: also, like, that is also— I mean, like, have you ever had something that intense need to force you out of a relationship? You know, maybe, like, like, a natural disaster is what makes you finally realize you're you're with the wrong person.
1: No, not a natural disaster, but certainly, like, big things where you're like, oh, life is uh, going by fast. I, I'm out, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, I'm trying to think if—I uh, definitely, like, asked the universe for signs for, for breakups for boyfriends and then, like, received them instantly— and and then, yeah, we're, we're just like—but I, 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 I kind of wish, like, maybe some something had been sent to shake me out of relationships a yeah. lot earlier in some of them. Like, I'm sort of like, where, where, where was my tornado, like, a year in instead of three years?
1: I think I was my own tornado, so— <laughs> Okay, that's fun.
0: <laughs> Honestly, goals? I think that's goals. Um, okay, so then she talks about her dad, who— Um, is really horrific, but then he shows up later in life when she's sick again. Um, She calls her dad a bigamist, which I had not heard since my Utah years. Like, we—obviously, we used the word bigamist a lot then, which means uh, when you're already married and you marry someone else. Uh, But I just, like, hadn't heard of it in a long time. And then, yeah, her dad married other women while still married to her mom. The stepmoms would be horrific, like, abuse her— try and seduce her boyfriends by, like, taking off their underwear and, like, all this crazy stuff. And then she's like, but but the Bible says to love your father, so I love my father, and I don't believe in grudges. And when I was covering this on the Instagram, the cookies—the grudge gates opened, and we really discussed grudges. So, so first off, Blair, do you hold grudges in your life, and do you agree or disagree with the idea that, like, they only hurt you— so why hold why hold a grudge?
1: Well, I'm Italian, so I fucking hold on to my grudges like I'm on the edge of a cliff. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> I just won't let go. But you know, now I'm in a 12-step uh, recovery program and so I've been forced to <laughs> Wait, so, my so in the recovery <laughs> <grudges. When>
0: <laughs> In the recovery program, does it really say like you have to forgive? Like what is that?
1: Um, you know, it's all like everything's on a trial by, uh, like trial by trial basis. There's no uniform thing, but really like all the messaging is like forgiveness is not for the other person it's for yourself so yeah. that you can be happier and freer, which has taken me a bit of time to adjust to my uh, mobster way of life. Have you actually successfully let go of a grudge I have yeah but I didn't think it was possible before (laughs) (laughs) okay and how did it feel like was it worth it well I think like we have these ideas that just because we let go of a grudge that it means it was okay or we have to have that person in our life when actually neither of those things are true like I can forgive someone and not have a charge for them and never have to see their ass again you know
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, I don't know. I hold on to, <laughs> I, 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 I hold on to grudges. Grudges hold on to me on my Instagram. I was told it was a Taurus thing, and I am a double Taurus. I really marinate on a grudge. Like I'll walk around the store with a grudge in my shopping cart, <laughs> deciding if I'm gonna act on it for years. Like I, and I take on other people's grudges. Someone DM'd me and said. Um, They'll take on someone else's grudge like they're holding your purse. Like, oh, you're no longer mad at them. I'll be <laughs> mad at them for you. I do that as well. And I, who do I struggle with a grudge? I, the only time I've ever had a grudge let go a grudge is when the person actually came and made it right with me. Right. But I have never on my own right. let it go. I, and I never fucking will. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I still have it in my pocket and I am fucking coming for you. <laughs>
1: I mean, I nobody has ever understood you more. I sometimes when there are other people that are close to me and someone wrongs me, those are sometimes even harder for me to give up than my own. I'm so I think if you're a really loyal person, it's it's hard because like you don't want to see any of your loved ones in any pain, you know?
0: No, and I am I am extremely loyal, and I'm loyal to my grudges. Like, they deserve my loyalty as well. <laughs> I know. But I don't know. I wish I could let it go. I'm sure it would make me feel better. I just—I really don't know how.
1: I mean, I will say, now that I've had, you know, about three years of this, it is a, a nicer way of life, um, but it's, it hasn't been an easy road to get there. It's been a rough <laughs> road. Well, listen, I'll think about possibly maybe <laughs> one day— Pulling up Google
0: Maps and seeing where the road is, possibly. (laughs) Okay, so, back to TLC. So, the craziest thing is that she's like, I always knew I would be famous. I got an audition for a girl group, and I didn't really want to go, so I made them come to my house. So, the original members of TLC, Crystal and Lisa, this girl Crystal, show up to her house. She then auditions for them. She's in. (laughs) Then Pebbles, infamous manager Pebbles, signs them and says, but you have to kick Crystal out. She's bad in the group, and you guys have to be the ones to do it. And I want to read <laughs> I wanna read the page about kicking Crystal out. Um, if you don't get rid of Crystal, all of you are out, she said. No hints this time. We had to step up. Lisa and I showed up at Crystal's house shortly after that. On the porch, just before we knocked on the door, I grabbed Lisa's arm. Do you fight, I asked Because we're about to throw her out of of her own group. And if she gets rowdy, we're going to have to fight. Lisa nodded. After Crystal let us in, we sat across from her at the booth in her kitchen. Lisa delivered the blow. Girl, Lisa told Crystal, we've got some good news and some bad news. (laughs) The good news is that Pebbles wants to sign us. But the bad news is, girl, I, I can't believe I'm reading this like I'm an actor on Downton Abbey. But the bad news is, girl, that we don't want you in the group no more. I busted out laughing. I couldn't believe she said it like that. Crystal didn't try and fight us, though. She took the news really well and asked us to leave, wishing us luck on our way out. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, but Pebble's words lingered in my mind. One can mess it up for the whole group.
1: (laughs) There's so much in there. I left... So hard when I read that, I just couldn't believe it. And then also when they first saw her audition, they were like, "Yeah, she was really bad at singing
0: and dancing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was really lazy too; like she didn't <laughs> want to do the moves. And then later she confessed she had a fear of singing. So like it's like okay, it's okay that Crystal's gone. I, I, the fact that she said it like that is like so tough. Um, and then and then Blair, I have a question for you. Do you fight?
1: I've Never gotten in a fight um, except for one time. This um, this guy grabbed my butt, and my older brother got mad, and then he got in a fight with five guys. And I and I ran and saw, and then I ran and I pushed this. I was like pushing these guys off my brother, and then. As soon as it was over, my brother got mad at me for no. Yeah, he was like, "You never get in the middle of the fight. That's how you get hit. Like, whatever." Well, okay, yeah, that's a good point. But that's the only. Um, that's the only time. And then another time, this um, girl pushed this drunk girl um, pushed my pregnant friend at a bachelorette party, <gasps> and so then me and her and her sister um, did drag uh, her out of the bar. But I've never gotten okay. in a fight. You've technically never been in a fight, but almost technically you have. I was very close, though, both times.
0: I'm actually—can I tell you that I'm surprised? I I was sure that—I I, I did not picture you have never gotten into a fight.
1: I'm actually, like, a really gentle, um, sweet person, but, like, it's more like, don't cross, like, people I love. Like, when someone does something to me, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to engage with a crazy person type thing. I'm like, mm. I'm above oh, yeah, that. Okay. But if you cross okay. like a loved one, like the Italian sort of comes out. So, you you definitely come across as a
0: very sweet, gentle person. You just uh, the you also come across as someone who like won't be messed with, which is <laughs> yeah, a good quality. Yeah, that's true. It's a
1: good quality. Um <laughs> Have yes, you? I
0: fought yes, yes. Cause you know, I grew up in um, I grew up all over, but in high school I was in a really, really small town, like cripplingly small. If you've ever seen the movie um, Boys Don't Cry, that ha- that was yeah, that's our. that was my town. That it's, sounds it was a,
1: terrifying, by it the way. It was terrifying. That movie. It was
0: terrifying. A lot of violence happens there. And and also, it was fighting culture. And um and I got harassed a lot physically when I first moved there. And I would go to bed every night and tell myself, like, if someone ever grabs my boob again, I'm going to hit him. 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 I would just, like, tell myself that every night. And then— One summer, I was was driving illegally. It was, like, after freshman year. So I was, like, 14 or 15, driving my mom's car. I cannot remember why. With uh, this kid next to me who was, like, a cool guy. I was, like, trying to be friends with them. We weren't dating. And I I was driving him to the sandlot. Not a joke. We had to go to the lot because he was supposed to get in a fight. So I, like, drove him to the sand lot, And then um, it was him and another guy who were supposed to fight. But uh, his dad was a cop. So that guy was like, you throw the first punch— I can't because your dad's a cop. And then he'd be like, my dad's a cop. So you throw the first punch. And they're just like, kind of like this macho, like circling each other for like an hour. So I finally like go up to them. And I was like, because I had to get this car home that I was like, <laughs> was I like, had like snuck out. So I was like, we got to go. <laughs> You're like, hurry it up, boys. Let, let's yeah. go. And I was like, just, can you shake hands? And someone in the crowd yelled, uh, Chini's got big boobs. And Chini was my high school nickname because it was Chini Virginie because I was 14 and a virgin. Can you believe it? Oh my God. Um, yeah, so like Chini's got big boobs. And as I turned to look, some, one of them, one of the two guys grabbed my boob. But I'm right handed. So I socked my friend in the face as hard as I could because I had just been programming myself like night after night. Like you're going to hit, I'm going to hit him, I'm going to hit him. So, so, so actually the other guy had grabbed my boob, but he was on my, he wasn't on the, the side I could swing on. So I hit my own friend in the face. He fell to the ground bleeding and then I put him in my car and drove him home and that was my first fight. And then I got into a bunch after that and then I stopped.
1: But oh I had a lot my. of anger
0: in me as a kid, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would too. I love—I mean, <laughs> I feel so bad for, like, little Chelsea being like, I am going to prepare myself to fight so that these people stop touching me. But then I'm like, yeah. that is the most badass shit I've heard also. Oh, well, th- thank
0: you. But also, I think I was, like, emotionally unhealthy about it for a while. Like, basically, like, if I ever got drunk and a dude fucked with me or my friend— I would fight when you shouldn't fight. Like, I would be like, get the fuck out of her face. Like, I'll fight you. And everyone was like, please don't do this.
1: Well, yeah, You're but you were also tonight. a kid. I mean, 14
0: and you were in. Oh, no, now I'm saying I carried this
1: on until oh. I was probably
0: 25.
1: <laughs> till I was 25. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, it stayed in me. You still had that fight or flight trained response that, yes, that yes. was in your body. And I-, I was kind of taught, like, if you don't, like, n- you, the world
0: is going to fuck you up Unless you stand up for yourself. yeah. Which reminds me of a story, Lisa Lopez, in this book where she buys a gun. She shows TLC and she's like, I'm going to go shoot this girl. And they're like, Lisa, you cannot shoot a girl. And she was like, not in the face. Just like on the foot or something. And they were like, don't shoot her. And she was like, a finger. And they were like, please don't shoot
1: anyone. (laughs) Mm. It was truly when I read that, I was like, this is like the mob. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And then yes. it was funny too because all of that was happening while they were like extremely famous. Like there, there was so much. Famous. There was so much to lose at every turn. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it was okay, okay. So getting back into the book. They're signed by Pebbles. Pebbles is a huge manager, super famous. I honestly, it was refreshing to have the evil manager be a woman in a book. This is the first <laughs> memoir where it was a woman. I was like, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> Feminism is equality, and equality means that women can be evil, too. Like, um, so, uh, And Pebbles is married to L.A. Reid. L.A. Reid, huge in the music business. If, if you don't know who he is, maybe you remember the Pink song where she's like, L.A. told me you'll be a pop star. All you have to do is change everything you are. Okay, so that's L.A. Reid, who's Pebbles' husband, and he has a lot of careers. Okay. Which so, she
1: mentions in the book, I told L.A. a lot about Pink, but that's for another time. And I was like, I want to know what she means.
0: Yeah, and, like, it was kind of framed positively. Like, I don't even know if Pink knows that, like, I weighed in. But she yeah. doesn't even, But she doesn't say it was positive. Right. So you're like, hmm. It was mysterious. And then later—I mean, there's so much drama. We have to skip so much. But because I've been telling fight stories. I'm so sorry. And um, <laughs> I love it. But there's so much drama, and they're really not getting paid. Like, they are at the height of their fame— Taking in so much money, platinum albums, and they're they're broke. They have no money. So they go to their contracts, look at them, and realize that everyone makes so much cut on everything that they will never get paid. Pebbles has them on an allowance. So they want to get out of their contract with Pebbles, who they said, you know, she did a lot of good things. She made their career. But then they basically break their contract but they want their name, and they discover that Pebbles owns the rights to TLC. So they have to pay her $3 million to get their name back, a million dollars for every letter, TLC. So crazy. So crazy. Um, so a- another thing that happens too is that like they're just teenagers making these albums, and so there's food fights throughout the book. Like, she'll be like, then we recorded this album. It went platinum. We had a massive food fight. You're like, what? And it's like, yeah, we threw food at each other and, like, really complicated,
1: intricate food fight battles. Yeah, like, thousands of dollars. I think she said that at one point, there was, like, thousands of dollars of damage to the studios that they were, like, recording in. And on the contract level, this was, like, when they're... At this point, I think they were doing... I don't know if they were doing arenas, but they were, she said they were making $50,000 a year when they were, like, the third highest selling, like, ever. Yes, yeah. So it's,
0: like, and it's, and it's also, like, yeah, you're not getting paid. You feel like you're a teenager on the road. You have the fame of being, like, one of the number one groups in the country, and then you're, like, mixing water with flour to, like, throw at, like, the audio engineers because it's, like, a party. Uh, yeah, yeah, and right. they
1: said there was one handler that was, like, so bad that they had to ask her for $5 to for to go to the grocery store for food, and she would only, like, the she wouldn't let them spend over $5.
0: Yeah, and she walked them there and was like, I'll pay for the food. Like, wouldn't give them $5 because if it was less than $5, she wanted the change.
1: Yeah, and would calculate I mean, it exactly. So,
0: of course, they got out of this contract, and then— Later, they have to file for bankruptcy in 1995, which is before their album, Crazy Sexy Cool. So they have filed for bankruptcy because of all these money problems. Also, this is when they're showing up with bats and being like, give us money, which is like, there are stories of other girl groups who were like, and then we just like went home and stopped being in the business because, you know, they didn't give us money and abused us. And TLC was like, get the bats. Like,
1: yeah. Didn't they say they like found a group of people that could be their muscle?
0: Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. And was like, come with us, which as you've heard from my childhood stories, I think is cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I like standing up for yourself. I've never heard of anything like that. That's like seriously something out of a a movie. I've never heard of anything like that. Like girls, too. there were no men involved. They just got a ton of girls with bats.
0: Yes, the muscle was women. That's an important detail. Also cool. And and listen, I don't condone violence in any way. I want <laughs> to say that. I. <laughs> I just it is, it is really, it is, it was cool hearing about women standing up for themselves. Like, I'm so sorry. And if you think that's bad, it's because the system has broken us and I've just like never seen a woman <laughs> grab a bat. And I liked reading about it. I did. Okay. Yeah. Then Lisa burns the house down. <laughs> and I, I actually have to read this because. I knew the headline that Lisa Lopez burned her boyfriend's house down. And I just always assumed like he fucked her over so she showed up and lit it on fire. But this is the actual paragraph. On June 9th, 1994, I got a call from Pebbles. Lisa had been arrested for burning Andre's house down. The night before, Lisa had been pissed at Andre. She said, I'm gonna get my girls, we're gonna get dressed up and we're gonna go out later than him. But when Lisa came home, Andre and his boys were still out clubbing and she was mad. When she came home that night, Lisa saw stacks of brand new sneakers in the house with none for her. Lisa took all those Nikes into his bathroom, threw them in the bathtub, and lit them on fire. But here's the thing. This wasn't the only time she'd started a fire. The first time it had been a bunch of stuffed animals in the bathtub. (laughs) And Andre had replaced the original bathtub with a plexiglass one. So when she lit the sneakers, the whole thing was like whoosh, and the entire house went up in flames. That I is was so, stunned. That is such a better story than what I thought this story was. He knew she lit bathtubs on fire. <laughs> not that this is his fault, but like, you didn't think she was gonna light the bathtub on fire and like put the plexiglass one in two that, that she had done it before. Like, that's crazy that it was only about staying out later than him to make him jealous. And he just stayed out later, and then she found the shoes. Like, oh my god.
1: I was stunned. And like, I mean, obviously, again, don't condone violence, don't condone arson or these things. But wow, it was fun to read. It was exciting. What a ride.
0: What a ride. And what's crazy is that she and Andre get back together. Like this was just (laughs) one of the things for them. Because in my head, I was just like, and they're in the, no, they're still together after this. And because it was, I don't want to say an accident, but, like, it was clearly a tactic she had done when they got in fights. And so— Yeah, most people then, just then, don't
1: text back, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah, leave exactly. someone on red for a day. But, like,
0: clearly—like, I, I thought she was like, I'm burning the house down because fuck you forever. But it was like, sorry, I was just trying to, like, burn your bathtub again. Yeah. Uh, So—and <laughs> then, crazier twist— T-Boss is like, we were in the news for this. It was really bad. And then OJ Simpson saved us (laughs) by being in the news himself. Because when OJ was in the car driving away from the murder and we had the first, you know, um, surveillance and 24-hour news cycle of, like, when that started of, like, we're going to cover car chases, that that is what made (laughs) TLC okay because they had previously been in the news for this fire— And she called her mom and was like, mom, we're no longer in the news. It's about OJ. I
1: was, I also couldn't believe that because, I mean, again, I was so young when this happened that I don't remember that, but I don't ever remember them like going through a dip because of that. And I mean, I guess she said like so many people would no longer work with them. You know, I'm
0: very much wondering if that narrative, I I think, i wonder I wonder how much of that is, i do I'm sure a lot of that is true, but when I was reading the book, it really felt like we we're missing something because the fire happens with the bankruptcy next to all the bats, next to all the drama <laughs> yes. on the hammer tour like I think a lot of things were a part of that but I also think like um I do think uh like kind of. Lisa was that, quote, crazy girl. And, like, you were really shunned for obviously. (laughs) Yeah. For, for, I want to say obviously. Anyone who set anyone's house on fire, I think, would go under incredible media duress. But also being a woman and being a black woman, I think, is also uh, ten times more.
1: That's totally true. And also, on the note of things being left out of the book, I was, like— she does not give Chili one sentence. She does not, not say- a full sentence. She does not say one thing about Chili, one memory, one thing about her personality, not one thing. I was like, are they dumb? I, I was, I could not believe it. I, I feel like if they were done, she would have written
0: about it because she wrote about people she was done with but also had nice things to say. And she was, like, pretty kind to her ex-husbands and ex-relationships. Yeah. She didn't dish on the drama. I think, I think one, TLC is still— Going. Like, they still want it to be going. And, and two, like, yeah, I, I think she was really close to Lisa and just not with Chili. And they're just, like, they're in a group together, but they're not close. But then she'll say, like, Chili was supposed to throw her baby shower.
1: I know, I just couldn't believe it. I can't believe even an editor was like, yeah, I think they'll want a paragraph out of 300 pages about Chili. (laughs) That's a good
0: point. Maybe something weird did happen because I'm sure someone was like, say something. I couldn't believe it. I was like... But she also writes like, you know, we had this fight, Chili headed to the studio. We both called on, like Chili was sobbing. Like, so Chili's very present in the book. There's just nothing written about her.
1: I guess. I felt like she was even barely present, but like...
0: I, yeah, it was very weird. Yeah, it 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 was very weird. I mean, there's a this book is missing a lot of things. I will say that, <laughs> and it, it did make me feel like I needed to, uh, like there's there's stuff missing. Okay, then I have to include this. Oh my god, there's so much to I include, know. Blair. And we're it's already been like forty five <laughs> minutes. Okay, Aretha Franklin, like dogged T. bozs physical looks was basically like she thinks she's cute and she's not. To a group of people, and I used to be way hotter than her. And for a second I was like, this cannot be what Aretha Franklin did. And then I remembered because of the cookies in the Facebook group for this podcast, someone posted the the Aretha Franklin facts with Dion Warwick drama. Do you have you heard about this? No, I
1: haven't, but I was so stunned by this because it was on stage at an award show, right? Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. That's Which what I mean. Sorry. So much crazier. Oh yeah, was
0: like basically like a video or she walked by, yeah, televised, yeah, yeah. Was like totally shit on her. And for a second I was like, no way. And then um, there's this weird little known story where uh, after Whitney Houston's funeral, Dionne Warwick spoke at Whitney Houston's funeral and mistakenly said Aretha Franklin was her godmother and that Aretha Franklin was at the funeral. Okay, so not shit talk, just facts she had incorrect. Yeah. Five years after this incident, the AP gets a fax from Aretha Franklin. She's like, I just want you all to know that Dion Warwick said this about me, and it's not true, and I'm fucking mad. And, like, tried to get a headline printed five years after the fact.
1: So I think maybe— Aretha Oh, my God. Sort of- that was, like, that old time where, like, the older women would be threatened by— Young women instead of, like, excited and trying to help them up. Yes, yes, yes. And that's totally, totally what it was. And, yeah, so that was a crazy story. I couldn't believe and- that. And she was like, it was the first time I wore, like, a dress in public. And she yeah. totally, like, said that on TV. I couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, because at first, I couldn't believe she put it in her book. I was like, oh, no, we're coming for Aretha. And, but now you realize, like, I think there's a lot of burn bridges in the business. So she is like, yes, she did this to me, and I'm going to talk about it, where I think other people might not include it. But
1: I could, you, she really, I, like, also was like, I mean, the, amongst the fighting stories and stuff, I was just like, wow, she's really honest, like, and not afraid to, like, make herself, portray herself in a poor light at at points, be honest yes. about it. Yes, yes, which was yeah, which w- and it, it, yeah, it was. This was a very
0: entertaining book. Okay, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, it's gonna get crazier. <laughs> Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondry's podcast, Dis Tell, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes, some are motherfucking villains. But you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role. And we do love women in our leading roles. So pre order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, welcome back. So, Blair, this next part, like, I think this next part was actually my favorite part of the whole book. So, she, for some reason, had been keeping it a secret that she had sickle cell disease. And she talked about how she was, like, holding this secret and how how everyone started rumors that she had AIDS. Because—and this was also covered in the Lonnie Anderson-Burt Reynolds podcast episode where AIDS was such a crisis— And so whenever anyone got sick, it was, like, this homophobic way to tear someone down and, like, to tie the disease to being homophobic and all these things. So, but I will say she handles it very well in her book. And the song Waterfalls is about having AIDS. So she was just, like, I just didn't have AIDS, but, like, it would be fine if I did. She she, she literally writes, it would be fine if I did. You would still have to take care of me. It's just that I didn't, and I had sickle cell. So she decides she's going to come out about her disease. And this is the sentence, my favorite sentence of the whole book. On October 10th, 1996, I threw a party at Liquid Nightclub in Miami to announce that I was the new spokesperson for the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America and to finally admit my own struggle with the disease. I was like, you, you debuted your life secret at a nightclub? (laughs) Yes yes, like, <laughs> this will be how I announce anything in my life, go- anything bad in my life going forward. We are going to a nightclub, we are printing up flyers, and I will announce it, like, while on the pole.
1: <laughs> I noticed the same thing, and I was like, what a twist, like, misdirect for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like,
0: yes, like, <laughs> that is how everything should be done. Yeah. And then, She wrote this beautiful paragraph, she said, there's a legitimate liberation that comes from a confession, whether it's telling the truth about your disease to the world or just admitting something to yourself. Once you're no longer afraid of speaking the words, once it's all out there, there's a rush of freedom. It makes you wonder why you've held onto your secret for so long in the first place. I'm not defined by my sickle cell. I've never thought that. It's not who I am, even if the disease trails me wherever I go. Facing your fears and being honest with yourself is one of the hardest things you can do but admitting to it let me go forward with myself which is a very powerful thing i could go forward into the world with one less thing to worry about i i love this and you know i get i get i've been real open on this podcast and so but one thing i'll say is that um i have had really intrinsic things to myself that i have felt so shameful about and kept a secret and when you read like why, like, why would having sickle cell be a secret? But just for her, it was. And it just really spoke to me of, like, what shame will do to you. And shame will have you believing lies about yourself that you would rather die than talk about when really, like, it's shame that is what's so bad. It's not the actual thing. And I remember the first time I did, I, like, did a piece uh, at Second City about not knowing who my dad was. And I would try and find him in the audience. And, like, And then later I did stand-up that was like way more specific about struggling with like who my dad was. And like it the freedom of talking about it really does feel like a religious experience. And like I remember the first time I like said, like that said I was like donor-conceived, like in my stand-up. That like it feels like, yeah, it feels like a thousand weights, like lifting your body. And I know you've also done stand-up about things that were probably secrets at one point. So Did you feel the same way of, like, one, is it easier to share through stand-up? Because it is for me. And two, like, how did it feel to, like, get to that place?
1: Yeah, I mean, the way I grew up, I grew up in Orange County, and it was, like, very, very Stepford. You know, I never heard anything about mental health. I never heard anything about sex. I never heard anything about race. Like, I I didn't—I was—it's very sheltered in a way. And just, like, it's very kind of what goes on in the house stays in the house. And— um, So when I first found up, it was like really, um, it was sort of just so electrifying and invigorating that I felt like I was like, I was amazed, especially by women, like speaking openly. And it sounds like I was in like 1942, but it wasn't that long ago. Like for me, I had been so sheltered. It stunned me. And, um, I did a set about sexual abuse that I released like a year ago and, That's
0: one of, I just want to say, that's one of my favorite sets of all time from anyone. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should definitely watch it and look it up.
1: Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you. It means so much to me. But I, I was, um, it was such a big deal for me to do the material. It took so much out of me. And then to put it out on the internet was the scariest thing. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, like so many different people didn't know about it and all this stuff. But, um. Yeah, then I realized, like later, because I had thought I had dealt with it in every which way, like it did uh, was a million pounds off me. So I do fully get that, and I still struggle with shame. Yes, no, I seem here. I and shame
0: is like, look, I know Brene Brown is popular. We all know about shame, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really didn't think I had shame because I am very loud. I can present very confident, and I can get things done in life. Yeah. So I just assumed, like, I didn't have shame because that's not what shame meant, only to go to therapy and realize it's probably the main thing I have in my life. Like, right? if I have one of something, it's, like, pretty intense shame. And definitely, um, I would say, like, being open about things— because I'm also a domestic violence and sexual assault survivor. Being open about that was, like, almost— as important as the event itself. Like, or not important, but like the impact it had on my life was just as intense. It was like the moment where you're like, I'm not going to hide anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, and, then, and then you deal with new waves of shame. Totally. I mean. <laughs> which well, is horrible. <laughs> well, your body is like, you after something like that, your body goes into like, I need to be in self-protection mode. But really it cuts you off from like all the good things in life, you know? And then yeah. when you do like, release it. That's a whole new other wave of fears because like the ego is like anything that is new feels unsafe, you know? Yes. And, and you're, and your the trauma of feeling unsafe is with you. So you
0: feel like I'm unsafe. I'm unsafe. I'm, I'm unsafe. Yeah. But, like you may not necessarily be unsafe. You just shared. And, you know, for me that it was, really this podcast, which feels very meta right now, but talking about myself on this podcast was like the, uh, yeah, like one of the the biggest and best things I've ever done for myself. Um, and it took me, it took me 19 years to even get to that step. And now I feel like I'm on the next step, which is good and it's so much better, but it's, you know, it's not, it's just not over and it definitely gets easier, but it's still, painful and and you know what I found the hardest part of sharing too is just being ready for people to talk to you about it right? because it means like every single memory comes back in that moment every single thought and emotion everything in my body that went through this will flare up in that moment and am I strong enough to do that and that's what took me so long because for a long time it would be like no I would start crying in the middle of work I'd have a panic attack I'd seize up I'd have a flashback like I can't do it and now now it's like oh I can do it and it'll suck but like I can do it now
1: Yeah, well, I think also, I mean, like our girl T-Boss, when you do uh, say these things, you realize how many other people are in the same boat as you. And also, like, you don't realize that, you know, sharing yourself affects other people and helps people. You don't think of it like that. And then you find out it does because you find out you make people feel less alone. Totally. And
0: The things that have—therapy has definitely changed my life. Meds have been tight. But (laughs) I would say right next to all of that is just hearing other people's stories. Really makes me feel okay. And sometimes when I can't get through something with therapy, like, I I, I found this Donor Kid magazine recently because it was created this year. Wow. And it is—it's, like, the greatest thing I've ever experienced because uh, you—it's— it It is something that can really fuck your life up, like, really intensely. Even though it shouldn't, there's nothing shameful about it, it can really ruin your life. And I opened up pages to people saying sentences that I have felt my whole life that were—that you just feel like you're just a decrepit— Monster, and then there's like a, it's like a zine. It's like if there's like a hundred copies yeah. of it in the world, and I was like, Ugh. and I truly was like, that was ten years of therapy. Ten years of therapy was reading a magazine of other people's stories. Wow,
1: that's yeah. so that's so cool. You found that like niche I, zine. No, well. It,
0: Honestly, it's, like, a gift that a journalist found out she was a donor kid late in life and used all of that pain to create a magazine in 2020 in the pandemic, and, like, now it's fixed my life.
1: Damn, I Um, hope she hears this.
0: I know. Well, no, don't worry. I already, like, DM'd her and was like, you have changed (laughs) my life. (laughs) She was like, how did you find this Instagram? Um, But I— The other thing I loved in this book is that right after this, she talks about getting tattoos and tattoos on her hands to, like, remind her of things. And I also have tattoos on my hands because it's been, like— they've been very spiritual for me. They've been, like—it's been, like, I'm missing something from my mental psyche and I'm going to, like, give it back to myself by, like, tattooing it on my body. I love that. You know? And just,
1: like—do you you have tattoos? I don't have tattoos, but I very much practice— that sort of reclaiming in different rituals and weird ways and things I you love know? that like what um I mean like I got into such weird shit during the pandemic like I I aside from like what could we do for comedy I was just like writing I was writing scripts and stuff but then I took like virtual reiki class I took cool I took wait Catholic what class. are you a practitioner I mean, I've never practiced on anyone, but yes, I'm certified. Can I be your first? <laughs> of course I you can. I would love some Reiki. <laughs> I just got, like, really into it. I was, like—and to me, I wasn't, like, doing it any reason just for fun. But, like, yeah. I started taking all these weird classes, and it was really fun for me. Um, will you tell people what Reiki is for anyone listening who might not know? <laughs> it's um, a Japanese energy healing technique. So it's basically body work. And like once you become attuned to energy, you have like, you know, a higher uh, frequency of uh, healing capabilities for others. I
0: I, One, I love this. Two, I want it. Three, I've had it before multiple times. And four, (laughs) anyone listening to this podcast, Blair, every other episode, like some episodes I'm like, I am done with this woo shit. It, it is not helping me, you know. This is where it's at. And then the next episode, I'll be like, I've seen an astrologist, <laughs> and I like I really cannot seem to find my lane. Um, yeah, but, and, and yeah.
1: Oh well, in twelve step, like their idea, they say you know take what you like and leave the rest. So that's what I do about everything in life. Like I don't ever go full on into anything. I take what I like and leave the rest. Because I don't want to be full of
0: anything, you know? Man, I love that. And I think that's truly smart. And probably, like, the one phrase that can stop you from becoming part of a cult. Like, that's really (laughs) all that will save you is that phrase. (laughs) But I will also say that, like, Sometimes I hate woo-woo shit, and sometimes I love it. And I think it's like Christianity for some people is like woo-woo shit for me. Like, I was raised with it, and it'll always be in my bones and in my blood. Right, right. And sometimes I love it, and sometimes I'm out. Yeah, I Um, totally get it. Okay, she later finds out she's pregnant because she craves Subway sandwiches, and she's like, fuck Subway, it's so gross, but I wanted their sandwiches. We knew I was pregnant. She gets married to her partner at the time, Demon, and then— I don't know if you noticed this first, but in the photo section, there's just a photo of her wedding reception. And it's like a bunch of table and chairs. There's no people in it. And it's like my wedding reception. I'm like, this is <laughs> so crazy. Like, I saw it. It's like a picture of table and chairs. I was like, what? Yeah. Then later she talks about how it's the most beautiful wedding she's ever been to, even though she knows it's her own. But you guys, the wedding was at Trump National Golf Club. <laughs> and I had to check. I was like, maybe this book was published. No, it was published in 2017. And she mentions Trump quite a bit. He's gonna come back. And whenever she mentions him or where they were, she says it factually and she's just like, no notes. Like she's never like, and I know what he did or he became president. Or the, She's always just like, and we were the Trump National Golf Club and it was gorgeous. Wait, Nothing I, think, else.
1: I think she did say, he didn't mean what he means now. Did she say Did that? She? I okay. thought I saw yeah, that one line, but still, that's not okay. a very—that's still a very, very minor, minuscule. Well, it's very minor because on another page she says, "TLC
0: spent one million dollars at Trump hotels." This is wow. a sentence she writes, and you're like, "Damn, that's—it's that's a lot of money." She talks about seeing Steven Tyler and John Travolta there. Yeah, she said
1: everyone stayed there back then, that it was the spot, and it meant that you had made it. Yeah, it meant you had
0: money. So, yeah, and she's right. 90s Trump was different than obviously, you know. But the book is being written in 2017. That's where I'm sort of like— Yeah, yeah. He was different then. And then she goes back and does Celebrity Apprentice with Trump. She says he was, like, shitty to the cast and crew and disrespectful and, like, a shitty guy. But, like, that's kind of it.
1: Like, she's kind of talking about his, like, on-set behavior. <laughs> she also—oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, please. Oh, she also said, though, that she was like, yeah, everyone was kissing his ass except for me. I didn't give a fuck. She was like, yeah. I was straight up with him. She was like—I she, she I think she said it was—she was like, it grossed me out seeing everyone, like— Kiss his ass. Yeah.
0: It just still didn't feel like enough. Yeah. And, and maybe— but no I mean in 2016 he was at the podium being like uh Mexicans rape and kill people. Like it, like you definitely have to say more. Like it it felt it was tough seeing him in there without like more about him being
1: like you know, racist and like ruining the country. It was so weird about what she decided to include and not include. I mean, she does go deep on a lot of stuff. And then there's so many things where you're like, what? There's like large chunks missing. It's almost like she just sort of picked like the most wild stories.
0: Right, right. But then still included details, but that didn't extend them. She then says when she was at Celebrity Apprentice, she was like, we spent a million dollars at these hotels. But then I went back for Celebrity Apprentice And she tells a story that also gets a little racist, uh, where she says the maids stole her jewelry, and like she talks about it in like a tough way. And but then they're like, maybe your kid was playing with it. And this is an actual sentence in the book. Chase knew how to handle diamonds. This is a two year old. (laughs) This is a two year old girl. It's like a ch- it's a child. She's like she knew how to handle diamonds. She's been on nice things. It wasn't her. Um, and then she's like, "I'll kick all of your asses if you don't bring me the jewelry back." And then the jewelry comes back the next day. But uh, it was
1: it was. I was, was just amazed that she said, "We will come to your house and get it back if it's not returned by tomorrow." I just could not believe she did that. Which is
0: but it's also following this story, which is what you were referring to at the beginning of the podcast, which. Which I, uh, which we have to, I'm gonna read this paragraph. She's
1: dating. This is, she's, it's, this is
0: Dalvin, right?
1: I can't remember if it was Dalvin or um, her husband.
0: Oh, yeah. Maybe it was Demon. Um, no, it was Dalvin. It was Dalvin. So, Dalvin is in a hotel room. She's on the phone with him. In the back, she hears a girl he had previously dated come into the hotel room. And he hears, uh, and uh, the girl comes to the phone. And she's like, who's this? And she gives a fake name. She's like, what are you doing there? And the girl says, I'm about to get my man. I mean, now I'm going to read. I'm about to get my man back, she replied. Don't you have a girlfriend, I said? That girl in TLC? Yeah, she said. So? Nope, that pissed me off. Okay, bitch, I replied. I'll see you in a minute. I hung up threw on a t-shirt, some sweatpants, and some sneakers. I grabbed a taser, this pin that could be transformed into a knife, $5,000 in cash for bail, and left my house at 5 a.m. I got on the first flight out of Atlanta an hour later. It was only 45 minutes on the plane from Atlanta to Charlotte, and I was fuming the whole way. I was so tired of this girl. She needed to know who she was fucking with. I was taking this special flight just to beat her ass. Then, I can't read it, it's too much, she describes in detail exactly what she does to this woman. And it's, the woman's in the hospital for two months.
1: Three, I, yeah, I think she was in the hospital for like three months. And I was just also, again, part of me was like, I love it, but also it's horrible. But also I can't believe you did this after the house burning down thing. Like after one of yeah. a thing? T- I was like, you're so famous. How did you not get in trouble for that? That's so, t- yeah, she's like,
0: crazy famous at this point. Also, it does go to the press and it goes to the press as Lisa where they're like, because uh, oh, it goes yeah, to the press yeah. as T-Boss and they're like, well, no way T-Boss <laughs> would do this. This is a Lisa move. And they have to call her. She's like, yeah, no, that was me. I and, and, uh, <laughs> forgot about yeah, that it, part. <laughs> it is so tough because you're like, oh, don't condone violence. Don't condone any of this. But at the same time, the girl after that beating is like, I still want him back. <laughs> like calls her and is like, please, let me fuck him. And she's like, no. So you're sort of like, hmm. But then two months is like, a long time, and then also, Blair, like getting on a flight with $5,000 for bail, like, I'm sorry, but. I,
1: it was, was cool, <laughs> I laughed so hard I, at that part. She's like, and $5,000 cash, and <laughs> it sounded like she gra- She didn't even put a bra on and grab $5,000 cash.
0: Yes, yeah, yes, yes, you, <laughs> I don't think there was a bra on for that. Oh, also, we should say this too. The Dalvin's wasted, so he's passed out. Dalvin doesn't even know the girl is there. Cause obvi- and obviously the fault is still on Dalvin for having her in his life or whatever he was yeah. telling her for her to show up. She should have beat he Dalvin's su- ass. He I sucks. do need to say that. She- he should have gotten this. It shouldn't have happened to the girl. Yeah. Um, but, but I just just taking out money for cash bail is like. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So Again, then, not condoning violence, but not still. condoning violence. Yeah. Just enjoying the book. <laughs> um, so. So much drama with TLC. Lisa pulled a lot of horrible shit. The group is falling apart. Then they patch things up when T Boss is in the hospital again for um something sickle cell related, like with her spleen. And then right after that is when Lisa dies in the car wreck. But other stuff had been really crazy in the book. Like she's explaining that, like, Lisa's getting premonitions. She dies in Honduras. She's taking this trip to Honduras to go on like spiritual meditations. Then she mentions that Lisa's was driving in a car, her assistant was driving, and they killed a small boy. And then she says, but Lisa paid for everything. She had a really big heart. And I was like, I don't know that that's the sentence. <laughs> I don't think, and then a week later, Lisa is driving, gets in another car wreck in Honduras with seven people in the car. They all survive except for her. So, and I know there's a documentary about Lisa in Honduras But I've never seen it. Oh, there is?
1: I'm going to have to watch it. I've been listening to Crazy Sexy Cool all week. Um, I mean, But also, like, there was so many crazy things with Lisa before that. I mean, she was in and out of rehab. So that makes me think those car situations could definitely have been alcohol-related. But she was dating Suge Knight. (sighs) Okay.
0: So we have to read this page. So this—I just—I can't— I can't recap the funeral, I just, I just have to read this. It was the longest funeral of my life. Lisa had been dating Suge Knight and he fell asleep halfway through. He was actually snoring as the readings went on. Whitney and Bobby, Whitney Houston, were seated behind me and I am not exaggerating when I tell you that Whitney repeated every single word that the pastor said. If he said, thank you Jesus, Whitney would croon, thank you Jesus. She sung every word back and loud. I kept thinking this cannot be happening, but there was Whitney singing and rubbing my shoulder and saying, "It's gonna be all right, baby." At one point, I turned around to look at Bobby, and he just shrugged, acknowledging that she was acting crazy. But then, thirty minutes later, I looked back, and he was hooping and hollering with her. What a circus! When I think about it now, I can barely believe it was real. That's a that was too much in one
1: paragraph for me. I could not believe that whole thing. It's so weird to have some of the biggest people you've ever heard of like humanized in that way as like baddie and like, you know, going through all that and like all at a funeral. And I'm sure that's when Whitney was on drugs as well. Yeah. And she was very religious and like,
0: yeah. So, and Suge Knight, she was dating Suge Knight. I mean.
1: I know, it's so, I'm, I'm and so, and so heartbreaking that she funeral. died. Pebbles uh, was, like,
0: telling them they all needed to
1: be saved.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, Pebbles had become a Christian. And she called her a baby Christian, which I loved, which is when someone gets into something and they're so new to it, they think they are the source of it and know more than you. I loved I that. Like loved that. It's also, it's like, they're a baby feminist. They're yeah. a baby activist. Like, yes. like, yes, yes. Um, so then uh, she gets incredibly depressed after, after Lisa dies. Even though they had fallings out, she, like, loved her intensely. She files for divorce. Things really go downhill. She then—there's there. There's a sentence in here where she says she spent $78,000 on baby clothes when her daughter Chase was two. That hurt to read.
1: I was, could not believe that. Also, the pregnancy was crazy because she had been told she couldn't get pregnant her whole life. Because sickle cell. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and then she's pregnant. She has a C-section. She has a really bad paragraph where she says she was never going to push a child out of her pussy and destroy her <laughs> pussy like that. We are like— <laughs> I remember being like, whoa, reading that. Whoa. Yeah, she was like, yeah, I'm not destroying my pussy. C-section. You're like, hmm. But, you know, you do you. And um, And then, heartbreaking, she gets a brain tumor. And after all this stuff in her life, in the book she's in and out of the hospital, she has— a brain tumor on top of that, and she writes about just, like, how much tragedy can, like, one life take. She makes a life-threatening decision. She could die either way, where she has the tumor removed, lives through the surgery, and it takes three and a half years to recover, and uh, th- the book is kind of, is written post all of that, and it, this is kind of, like, where the book winds down of, like, she does these, like, reality shows. TLC, like, still keeps going, but without the third member. Like, no one—they're just not TLC anymore, but for her, she, they are. And, um, and then it's about her and her daughter, and then she adopts a son at the end of the book. But the, the, there's a few weird things. So at this point in the book, I started to wonder, like, is t a Republican— like, something was sounding weird, and I just Googled T-Boz Republican, and the first thing that came up was her and Chili releasing their last album called TLC, or their latest album, and the headlines were, Chili says all lives matter, and T-Boz says I don't care about Trump. Wow. And I read the article. The article—the headline makes it a little worse than it is, and when she says she didn't care about Trump, like, it, that's what this is in the book. She genuinely does not care what he did or who he is, and— doesn't have any feelings about it.
1: Well, she has that one line when she's a kid, when, right after they tell Crystal that she's out of the group. And she says, sometimes you have to step on other— or like, I don't know what the exact word is— yes, to, for yourself. Yes. She's like, that's just the way life is. And there's another— this is
0: what really got me, too, because it reads as inspirational advice. This was the other paragraph. She said— I can tell you for sure that it's possible to overcome any odds. You might think you can't get to the top because of where you're from or what your background is, but that's just not true. Three black girls living in Atlanta became the highest selling girl group of all time, which should tell you that color and gender and class don't matter. What matters is who you are inside. And that is inspiring and empowering, however, it is also a political belief system, which is you believe in individualism and not the system. So you don't believe that the system disadvantages you because of your right. color or gender or class. The system does disadvantage you. You can read all the statistics. It's just it's just charts and graphs. Like it does. It's just she chooses to believe that you can overcome it if you if you want to try. Yeah, and that's that's a political system. <laughs>
1: what was so crazy too about like her and her premonitions and stuff and like all the other you know celebrity memoirs that like you've gone through and that I've read a lot of them, but like you know, a lot of those were where they said they always knew they were going to be, like, a famous singer. They were, like, singing and doing singing lessons and, like, doing all this stuff. And, like, I think she did, like, one... She was more into dancing. She did, like, one singing thing and then she did, like, the community dancing. But it was, like, so crazy because it seemed like that just came out of nowhere. It wasn't like she was something... She was, like, doing her whole life. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like she had talent. She had the voice. The voice came from her parents. I mean... It, I mean, it is It is true that you can go against the odds. We obviously have seen it happen. It's just there are other people who could have had this life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just systemically disadvantaged, right. and and it, it's not because of who they are inside. Like, right. they're not, not somewhere because of right. who they are inside. They're not somewhere. Yeah. And then— they kickstarted their last album. And that's what I had blacked out. I had forgotten that they kickstarted. I never knew
1: that. I never knew a lot of this.
0: But it was just like, it's a real Zach Braff move. And it's hard to do when you're already famous and rich to ask for money. And it makes sense, makes more sense with like the music industry of like what album costs. But it was, I was like, oh, man.
1: Yeah, well, also it was crazy. And I mean, I know they had record labels and stuff. But they would be like, yeah, all of our videos were like a million dollars. And she said, I think their Kickstarter was like $150,000, which is a lot yes. of money, but not for like millionaires. That's like a car that they get put on Instagram like every day. You, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. So that's why it was like hard to
0: read. And then, yeah, they do the album TLC, that's what it's titled. I will say one great thing came out of this, though, which is that we learned, and this is her sentence, Katy Perry pledged $5,000 to have a sleepover <laughs> with me.
1: I remember that.
0: <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if Kate—I I, truly, Katy Perry might have been like, I'm having a fucking sleepover with T-Boz, or if she was just like, I want to give money to the cause. And we'll never know.
1: God, I, it's just so funny. Like when I was re-listening to all this music and I was instantly transported to like my very young self and then like also thinking about all this information that I had no idea about. It was just why things were so different back then. I saw TLC before Left Eye Died and it was, um, Christina Aguilera was opening for them. So Christina Concert Aguilera. Concert of a lifetime. Yeah. And it was like in Orange County and like we had really bad seats, oh, but God. it was still <laughs> really cool. Like I, I could barely see. I don't, I, people were like standing over me. Um, but like, I just remember it was like Christina Aguilera had like two songs. She was like a child still. Wow. Blair, that is so cool that you were there <laughs> Yeah. I love that. Um,
0: okay. We're at the last paragraph of the book. Um, it's when she had gone to adopt her son, so she's talking to the judge to adopt her son. Like I told the judge, I used to keep that box of baby clothes in my house long before Chance arrived in my life. Chance is her son. I knew what I wanted, and I knew it was possible before it ever happened. I have my son, and he has those clothes. Now Chance, Chase, and I, just like TLC, were MTB. I love that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so a new thing on the podcast is, does the book pass— The book Buchtel test. There's three questions to it. One, was the author vulnerable and honest with her story? What do you think?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, she just talked about a bunch of witchy shit, a bunch of, like, crazy ass beatings that she gave.
0: Yes. She was very, very, very—even the stuff she kept out, you're like, there's something missing here. She was very honest. Okay. Was it entertaining? Yes. So entertaining. It really yes. felt like an action movie at a lot of points. <laughs> yeah, it was it was riveting. And again, like I said, I was reading this at five in the morning and I was like, whoa. Um, third question, did it elevate your life by reading this?
1: I think so, yeah. I think it definitely did. I was reminded to listen to myself. I was reminded to stand up for myself. And I was also reminded like you can push through stuff that you don't think you can. Yeah.
0: Oh God. Yeah. God, you're so right. I feel I feel 70-30 on this one because everything you said, I'm like, yes, yes. And then the politics stuff, it was hard. It was hard. But and but you know what? She did have good fucking lessons in there. And I'm not gonna stay in a Trump hotels. Doesn't cancel out. <laughs> <laughs> All the lessons, though it kind of feels like it, but <laughs> I'm a I'm a maybe. I'm a maybe on the last one.
1: There was like a lot of not elaboration on, there was a lot that she did not elaborate on. It got me. It really
0: got me. And I'm not painting anyone with a broad brush, but I do want if you are gonna name things like that, I do want more thoughts on it. That's that's what I want.
1: I still can't believe she didn't I mean, in addition to the Trump thing, I she did not say one word about Chili the entire time. I was like, I was like, that's a whole third of the group that's not talked
0: about in TLC. I know. Well, and even in the audition process, she said we had to find a girl who was the right height the right look and the right voice and it almost felt more mathematical. Yeah. Um, and there's was like, and that was Chili, so then Chili.
1: <laughs> that was it. Bye, Chili for the rest of the book. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but also, she Chili
0: was her... She's there. She's, like, there in her life. They, like, perform together. They're giving
1: interviews where they both are, like, all lives matter. It's like, I mean, they're on the same page. I have no so. idea about that. I haven't seen any—I I didn't know most of this information, even though I loved them so much as a kid. And I do want to see this. Like,
0: like I said, I'm moving. I'm in the middle of shooting the show that I'm the writer for. So it's like, uh, I'm sure there's more research to have been done. There's, there's there's more points to this, but I'll see you on the Facebook group, Celebrity Book Club podcast uh, for, for anything we missed. Um, wait, Blair, we give a thank you to the author before closing the podcast. I want to thank t for being, for really describing pain really accurately, both emotional pain and physical pain. She's in a lot of physical pain for her sickness. People who haven't experienced that know what that's like and there aren't a lot of examples in this book like she really described pain in a stunning way and yeah she really inspired me to stand up for myself and listen you heard my thing on grudges I guess I probably don't need that inspiration <laughs> I probably didn't need more of that but I liked it a lot and this book was riveting and yeah, those songs, like, life-changing. I, not only did I try and perform them at every talent show, I was doing karaoke for them as a grown-ass woman. Um, and, and it really, really changed my life. So thank you for this book.
1: Wow, yeah. I want to um, thank T-Boss for this book also. I mean, there were just some of those riveting stories that I didn't even know could be a reality. But um, I love the the honesty about um, all the contracts. I think that stuff is so interesting, specifically, you know, as it pertains to women and um, women of color. And um, yeah, I thought she had a she this lady's uh, seen some shit, you know, she she had quite a life like spanning all the um the pain, the illness. I loved her relationship with her mom and her grandma. Yeah, yeah. Her mom was like the one of the most, again, like a movie mother um, that you're like, how can this woman even be?
0: real. Um, You're right. Like she's always bending down to her and being like, you are going to go against the mold and you can do anything. And I believe in you. Yeah.
1: And we're going to figure this out. She said that was her line. We'll get through this together. And I was just like, that is the most, that's all you want in a mother.
0: And and I want to say like friends too. I have a friend, Joe, who when you, when you're like, this happened to me, she always writes back, how are we going to fix this? How, okay. What should we do about this? What should, and it's, it yeah it it that's like such a beautiful phrase to yeah that's give like that's of, like, truly it the most them.
1: yeah that's like to me that's like the greatest gift you can give anyone it's like so sweet um, yeah but yeah I loved I loved all like the batshit stories and I love how she just like she really didn't bow to anyone which is like such a rare quality and um yeah I, I loved I loved the, the whole story even though there were some things missing but thank you T-Boss I love you forever I also love your music
0: uh, that was beautiful okay Blair where can people follow you find you where they can they where can they find your sets all
1: of it um well you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Blair Sockie, B-L-A-I-R-S-O-C-C-I And, um, you know, Blair Saki on YouTube if you want to check out anything. And then, um, yeah, I post my my road dates and on my Instagram if you want to come to a show. Going on the road. (laughs) I love it.
0: Thank you so much for coming on and doing this book with me, especially with, like, uh, you can't see my floor, but, like, there's just— there's just bags and clothes covering my floor. I feel like we were here for a special moment in time. So oh, my God.
1: Here. Thanks for having me on. As you know, I've been a longtime fan, and I've— um, really enjoyed the content that you've given all of us on your instagram i follow closely and i've always been a female memoir or actually male memoir reader too celebrity yeah, you're memoirs. super into celebrity memoirs I love like them. more than anyone yeah they're always such a fast read and like you learn so much and these people have these insane lives i love them so thank you for doing thank you for doing this podcast and for having me on Thank you for being my friend and being so nice in this stand-up scene. Yeah, and being a and also being a bad bitch in the, the comedy and television world. It's cool. Listen, bad bitches all around. Blair and I <laughs> will show up with bats if you
0: process. Most likely it's like a photo stunt, but we'll do it. We'll do it. All right. That's all for this week's episode. I loved talking to Blair. She is such a ball of joy. And a little secret, I am recording the outro to this podcast after... Uh, I, I moved so when we did this episode I was in the middle of work and packing and I, I probably was blackout for a lot of it I, I was on one it felt like a roller coaster but now I'm here I'm here in New York for my new job temporarily uh, and we made it and, and everything was great and um, and yeah that that move <laughs> movie's intense every everyone knows that it's an intense deal but I'm here now and you guys, I brought a bunch of books with me and I can't wait to read them and read them from a new city. Whenever you change locations, I feel like your your emotions your emotions shift, your worldview, all of it. So, excited to read these new books. You can follow me, as always, at Chelsea DeVantes on my Instagram. I will be posting a visual story that goes with our T-Boss episodes as well as Blair's set that I absolutely love. And if you have any thoughts that we missed, want to start a discussion of your own or meet some like-minded individuals, go to our facebook group celebrity book club podcast and always if you want to leave us a nice review it would mean so 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 fucking much um they truly mean a lot to me yes i do read them and um yes thank you guys so much for everything and thank you to our amazing production team here at stitcher daisy rosario our executive producer producer brandon nicks associate producer corinne wallace and our episode engineer marcus hom we will see you guys next week for another book